DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a free shot at huge cash prizes. DraftKings is offering new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with first deposit. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledges to the test to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about football playoffs, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs this weekend. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the uh, DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a free shot of millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the weekend. That's promo code THPN to get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics. I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And the Sabres doing things, Taylor. They're doing things. All right. Well, here's the thing. I don't want to get too excited. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm <laughs> Not even just because of the past stuff, but like, so they continue to look good, especially from an analytic perspective. But I will preface this by saying the Rangers are bad. They are trash. Bad. And the Sabres just really barely beat them. But I will say they are doing things. They do look pretty good. They continue to look solid. They really do. They really do. I think that it's clear what the holes on the team are, but they're still overcoming some of them for the most part. I would say the biggest thing right now is they still, same thing as we talked about last episode, their expected goal rates are far higher than what they're actually putting away. I mean, they're getting great quality chances and they're generating a lot of shots, but they're just not finishing. Uh, but it was great to finally see Jack get on the board. So we'll dive in and start recapping the Rangers game. Uh, elsewhere in this episode too, we will be talking about the Ted Nolan news that came out on Wednesday. Uh, and then we are going to finish with something that we threw out there earlier today or earlier Wednesday to our social media followers. We are going to have our first mailbag of 2021. Uh, we had gotten, I believe altogether like 13 or so questions, uh, very wide range of questions, but very excited to jump into that. So let's get back to the Rangers game though. So the Sabres end up coming away with a nice three to two win over the Rangers. Um, highlights again, as we had said, Jack had scored finally for the first time this season, Dylan cousins put away another goal on the power play. Uh, Tobias Huzzah was able to uh, score an almost shorthanded goal. I would say, uh, it was just very after, nearly, very nearly. It was only a couple of seconds ahead after like the penalty had expired for the Sabres, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's kind of dive into the game a little bit. So first of all, uh, one of the things that really jumped out for me was the power plays ability to adjust to what the Rangers were getting them because normally the bread and butter for the power play is you have Vic and Jack on either board. And obviously those are your two sharpshooters and you pretty much just set them up to unload and you have mixed in there, Sam, who is one of probably the most like 
lethal below the goal line power play threat that we've had in a long time. It kind of reminds me of Briere a little bit because that was kind of his thing too. Obviously Sam and, and Briere are different players, but more so just that like, if you get them the puck, like behind the net on the power play or like along the red line, they're going to find somebody open. But what the Sabres ended up doing is taking advantage of the fact that this, the Rangers completely left the slot open for them, uh, more particularly the high slot. That's how Dylan Cousins' goal came to be, where it was a one-timer pass from Eric Stahl. Cousins put it perfectly in the bottom left corner. Then on Eichel's goal, same thing. He was posted up in the high slot. Uh, Darlene, I'll give him credit too here because Olafson was the one that everybody was pointing out and rightfully so he made an excellent pass to get that to Jack for the one timer for the goal. But I really liked right before that you had Taylor Hall was along the half wall and there was a little bit of a, a, a scrum going on and he pushes the puck out to Darlene and he very quickly and smoothly transitioned from the backhand quickly to his forehand and got it to Olafson pretty much like behind the net while he had Mika Zibanejad charging at him. And so that was a really, really nice play under pressure that I just wanted to point out because a lot of people rightfully, like I said, were pointing out Olafson made a great pass. Um, but Darlene really kind of kept that play alive and allowed that to happen and picked up a nice secondary assist. I mean, otherwise, yeah. And, and also too, Taylor Hall actually had a really nice opportunity too, where he was, you guessed it, posted up in the high slot and almost put one away. So that was very encouraging. And I would just say that the power play was something um, that definitely jumped out at me as being a positive. What were some of your takeaways from the game? All right. Well, first of all, obviously Cousins, uh, another awesome goal. And he, he's been a guy like through the first however many games it's been now, he's been great, like, like all around. Like he's kind of what people – hoped he would be eventually like he's he's that right now i'm saying he's like as good as he's gonna be but just that he's good at every aspect of the game like he's good in his own zone he can pass he always makes the right play smart good positioning all that stuff Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff people said hey he might not jump out at you but he's good at everything but i gotta say one thing i did not hear or did not expect is that he had like a cannon like this the two goals he has are unbelievable both of them great shots like not quite at the level of wolfson but like pretty close and it's like, I guess you might notice him if he's doing that like 25 times a year. Mm-hmm. So I really, really happy with him so far. I thought the Eichel line and Eichel in particular, not even just getting the first goal. He looks a lot more interested and invested in his playing better as of right now. Olmark, mm-hmm. uh, who let in two goals that I didn't love earlier in the game, in the first period, both of them had a great third period. Didn't have much to do in the second period. Luckily the Sabres, you know, kind of dominated play stood in his head in the third period. Really the Sabres kind of left him out to dry. And I don't know if that was a strategy to kind of park the bus and say, well, let's just make sure we don't let in a goal. And, but I mean, yeah, I mean, there's two games. Yeah. To me, that was two games in a row with Allmark where I agree. And I still, obviously, I think it goes without saying that they still absolutely need to address the goaltending position in season. Um, yes. if they want to make a run. But what I will say, though, is in spite of a couple Almar kind of left through that were maybe a little bit easier, I mean, the last two games down the stretch, when they needed him to make a save, he did make a save. And I yeah. will give him credit for that. Like, he 
he's come up clutch. It was big. He was up, came up big against Washington. And then, like we said there in the third period, he, he really showed up for them. But to your point though, that kind of brings up, I think something that's a little bit more alarming and it's a trend that Ralph has had since he's become the coach where if they go into the third period, having a lead, they are parking the bus and they are not aggressively trying to score. They are, they're playing to not lose rather than playing to win. It's like they totally go into a shell. They lose a lot of the aggressiveness, we'll call it, that they play with in the offensive zone and the way that they've been able to, to dominate possession. Like you said, in the second period, it was like they totally took, took their foot off the gas and were just more so trying to prevent a goal rather than further their lead. That was something that we saw last year with Ralph that people you know, were calling out quite a bit. So that gives me... Uh, a certain degree of worry, I would say yeah. um, you can't sit on your heels like they have been. No, no. I mean, it's not 1999 anymore. Exactly. Like, this, like you will get scored on the Rangers. I think the Sabres kind of got lucky with uh, Panarin. Who's one of the best forwards in the league was like the only guy I pretty much noticed all game who I was like, Oh, which usually that's like eight forwards, a team against the Sabres mm-hmm. <laughs> most of these years. But like Panarin is like, you know, he was as good as any forward in the league last year. So he's great. The rest of the team, it's kind of like there's guys that are both in slumps and guys that I'm extremely unimpressed with. Now, Chris Kreider had a goal, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he had the first one. Very impressive. Um, besides that, though, I mean, yikes. I, they've, they the have, this, they they have, have some names, though, on the team. Like, they have some guys. Like, don't get me wrong. They have talent, but they just, like, do not mesh together at all. No, and they Their have. Their defense should not be as bad as it is. Oh, no, 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 no. It absolutely shouldn't. Like, if you look at their, like, charts from last year, you know, I, I know everyone loves the charts. We love the charts, don't we, folks? But it was something <laughs> like the end of last year, like, when they got eliminated from the playoffs, it's like their defense been on, like, a, you know, one of those, so, like, good and fun, bad and exciting, bad and boring, good and bo- like that one of those things. Uh, I don't know what charts are called. But anyway, it's like Adam Fox, like, good and fun. Everyone else, like, bad, either bad and boring or bad and exciting. Like, a little, mm-hmm. he's like... D'Angelo should be like, he was bad and exciting. Obviously at that point, it was like D'Angelo personality issues aside is very talented. Uh, Jacob Truba was Jacob a very Truba. good defenseman. Yeah. He was really good for a while. I don't know what's up with him, but I was just going to say with the Fords, they have the uh, 2019 second overall pick and the 2020 first overall pick in their team. And wow, did I not notice either of those guys? I mean, I mean Lafreniere I feel- made a couple things. He is still pointless so far this season. Capo Caco, uh, might be a gigantic bust. I I don't even know what to make of it with him because he, I, I mean, he had the success and he had the draft pedigree of being a logical, you know, second overall pick and especially the world juniors that he had coming into his draft year. I mean, it, it, I don't think anybody would have foreseen what he's been. Now, like last year, you know, you also had Jack Hughes, for example, who had a pretty uninspiring year but you look at him this year again shout out to lindy uh he's he's totally turned it up and he's he's looked great he's scoring he's playmaking he's making the guys around him better and one of the things that with caco that people liked a lot was yes i mean he was a great playmaker but he also was he seemed to have a very sound two-way game and and I'm I'm not going to say that I watch every Rangers game in the way that I do with the Sabres, but like, you know, keeping up enough and watching them at least enough that I would be worried 
if I were a Rangers fan with him. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit again with like the layoff and it's, you know, just getting back into the swing of things. It's also really early too. And I think that's something also important to keep in mind is like right now we're just still in the matter. Like this is, these are just early trends. Like it's going to take a couple more weeks before we really get an idea of where things are and where each of the teams are in terms of how this is all going to shake out. I mean, they haven't even played 10 games yet, but yeah, I did not see and have not seen, like you said, anything that would make me come away from watching Capo Caco and being like, we're good with, we got this, you know, like that is, it's very bad news for the Rangers. If he doesn't pan out. Someone on Twitter referred to him as the next nail Yakupov. Yakupov. I always got to him. Yeah. Yakupov. Uh, last night. And I was like, oof, that feels unfair. So I looked it up. Yakupov's rookie year was the 48 game lockout season. He had more points than Kako had last year and the beginning of this year combined, but like a little bit, I think Yakupov had 31 in those 48 games and obviously didn't get much better from there, but so maybe you assume Kako gets better, but like, I don't know. Like I look at, if you look at a list of second overall pick forwards, I think Sam Reinhardt is probably, he's either in the middle or frankly in the second half of it, but he, his second year, which was his first year actually playing a full season, he had more than 20 goals. And that was when scoring was a little bit down compared to what it is now. Right. So I don't mean to, um, you know, like insult our, our, our friends there in New York. But, the, uh, but it's like we but, said, but they do, they have guys on that roster who are talented. Like you said, Kreider, they have Zabenejad, they have Panarin who probably should have been the MVP last year. I still hold very firm on that belief. And then, I mean, even like their complimentary pieces too, like um, what's his name? Uh, Bushnevish, uh, who's been playing on the top line with, with Kreider and Zabinajad. Um, You know, we mentioned some of the guys on D there. Uh, they have a good goal, young goaltending tandem with Shesterkin, who has not put up the best numbers this year. And then Georgiev, who we saw last night. Um, it, it does not make a whole lot of sense to me. And it just brings me back to like, is it like a coaching issue? Because with that talent, like they should not be as bad as they are. With that being said, I absolutely hope that Dan Quinn keeps his job for the rest of the year for the Sabres sake. Um, (laughs) Well, we did did both pick the Sabres ahead of them. We did. Oh yeah. I I mean, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, mean, I'm not too surprised, but that's the thing though. That was kind of based off of, how they were last year, which again was, was very underwhelming. And it's not like they made a whole lot of additions really in the off season. I mean, obviously Lafreniere is a huge addition, but like, again, he hasn't made that immediate impact. He, I think we, there's, uh, should be clear, even though he hasn't been, you know, blowing the doors off, he's going to be amazing. I am very confident in that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just does not make sense to me just with how pitiful that they've looked for pretty much like the past two years. Yeah, it's. But, it let's is go back to talking about good Sabres things because, you know, <laughs> I cannot even believe that I'm actually saying this, but the Sabres tweeted earlier uh, a few stats about maybe the most surprising thing to come out of this season, which has been the success of the Ristolainen and McCabe pairing. Um, you know, last year we had saw that really McCabe and Ristolainen were 
just given like the personnel that they had, the only two that kind of made sense to go together. We, uh, we knew what a disaster Montour and Ristolainen was. Um, Darlene and Ristolainen really never worked. And McCabe is, you know, he's been steady, but he's not like, a, you know, using like the blow the doors off analogy. I mean, he's been steady, but he has been good. Um, but this year, I, I, I can't believe that these numbers are about to come out of my mouth right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, their expected goals for percentage is 61.32, which slots them in at sixth in the NHL. Their goals for percentage is 77.78, which puts them at 12th in the NHL among defensive pairs with uh, at 50 minutes on five on five. Uh, and their Corsi four percentage is 58, which is sixth. I mean, I definitely don't think that uh, it's any secret that them getting reduced minutes plays a big part in that uh, and not leaning on them as like a true top pair so much because quite frankly, they're not. But do you think that this is sustainable? <laughs> no, not, not those numbers, but well, like the number, I mean, good, yeah, but... the quality of play. Maybe. So the funny thing is, if you look in the first two months of last season, you look at the archives of Straight Up Sabres or Blue and Gold Make Dalene, as it was known back then, you'll hear a lot of us complaining about McCabe and Ristolainen and how McCabe should spend a night in the, the press box, things like that. And then they put Ristolainen with Montour. And it was like, <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe he should play with McCabe again. Like, it, it, it's it's kind of a funny thing that it's more than a year later, obviously, because of the late start. But at this point now, we're like, oh, yeah, that's that's the first pairing. They played really well. It is interesting that I kind of watched Ristolainen to see, like, what are they doing differently? A lot of people pointed out on Twitter that they're committing more to being a team that doesn't get – or a pairing that doesn't give up the zone as easily. So they're playing the body when they're coming into the zone and even protecting against in, the blue line in their own zone – or not their own zone. But when they're in the offensive zone, try to keep the puck in or try to keep – guys from breaking into the neutral zone and that's part of what can make a good defensive pairing mm-hmm. you know that's that's important having an identity you don't try to be good at everything if you're not so if you're good at one thing that that can help the other thing is what's driven me crazy about Ristolina for a long time is I always thought he's a naturally talented passer and he's been sucking at it like it's weird to say he's talented and he sucks at it but he made bad passes constantly just firing the puck randomly into the neutral zone uh firing it too hard, not shooting. It's anyone just dumping it, getting icings. And this year he's made such good passes. I don't know if it'll last, but like, like picking it up, skating in the neutral zone a little bit and finding an open guy, an open forward. That is not really what he's been doing. I mean, maybe he tried to do that for years, but he had no success at it. And I think that's probably a huge part of it too. And I I guess the other thing is they're playing probably a little bit more with Eichel Hall and uh, Reinhardt. I have to assume I haven't looked at that, but I, from what I can see, I think they're playing with them a lot. It helps, helps to play with really good forwards too. Definitely does. I think that's something too. I feel like Ralph has been making smarter deployment choices when it comes to the uh, forward pairing, forward defense kind of uh, matchups that he puts out, uh, which has definitely benefited them a lot. And speaking on the defensive side, what are your thoughts on where Darlene is at right now um, and how he, you know, I feel like we're starting to kind of see him turn it around ever so slowly. I think, you know, we mentioned before the nice secondary assist that he had last night. Um, well, I should say actually on Tuesday night for everybody listening. Uh, but I, I mean, I feel like he's, 
I think that there's still a level of like apprehension there that we've talked about a bit where it kind of feels like he's thinking a little bit too much before he makes a move. And he, you know, again, we don't really know whether that's maybe something that Ralph is directing him to do, but he, you know, up until this point really wasn't looking like the same player that we had seen in his rookie year, a point that I think we made in, in our episode last week. Um, but I feel like he's at least maybe shown a little bit of signs of turning around. And the other thing too, that uh, our, our good pal, Chad D. Dominicus pointed out is that he's kind of in a similar boat with Skinner where he's just not really having a whole lot of puck luck right now. Um, Chad had point had, uh, had posted charts earlier today uh, just about how Darlene has been uh, in terms of like shot quality. And he has the second best on ice shot quality. Um, and his quality against numbers are definitely respectable, but it's the kind of the, the combo package of the, he has a 2% on ice shooting percentage and his on ice save percentage is 875. So again, thank you to Chad for, for pointing that out earlier, but what do you, what do you make of where Darlene is at right now? I think he's looked better the last couple of games, but yeah, yeah. I think he is getting, he's having some, tr- not, not trouble, but like he is slapping it from the point a lot, which is like, it's a low percentage shot. We've known that for a while. Uh, I don't want to say too much bad about him because I do think he's looked better in the last two games. And but it's we're also though, see a lot more than that. But to your point about the point shots too, a, a couple of people had pointed this out earlier. And when I was watching the game, I kind of noticed it as well that it's not that he's just taking point shots. It's that he's taking point shots when he has room, like he has some space and it just seems like he's kind of firing away without maybe like taking a couple of steps in to maybe get like a higher percentage shot and getting in a little bit closer. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, that that would kind of go to the point of him rushing it and being uncomfortable on the ice right now and unconfident. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It kind of all makes sense. I mean, with him just trying to like, I don't know. It, it, it's like, he's just trying to kind of get the puck off a stick when he gets it in the offensive zone, rather than doing the thing that he's good at, which is making plays happen. And, you know, in this instance, making a play is even a matter of taking an extra three strides in towards the net, you know, rather than just like firing a slap shot, take a few steps in and then just take like a higher quality wrist shot. Yep. All right. Uh, so I don't know if we want to move on here. Real yeah, let's quick, do it. But, uh, so Ted Nolan, yeah, yeah. Oh, remember this guy? Who remembers him? He uh, is appearing on a spe- uh, special on TSN in Canada, which is about him. And it's like, it's called The Unwanted Visitor. It's airing this Friday on Sports Center in Canada. Of course, that's the weird Sports Center with the R before the E. Um, so, shout out to our Canadian listeners. <laughs> yes, yeah, shout out. Sorry, your words are weird. Maybe our words are weird. I think that actually is it's what perspective. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and some, so I think the basic idea of this is that he was the first indigenous coach in NHL history. I'm pretty sure at the very least, he's one of very few, he's yes. one of extremely very few NHL head coaches who are not white basically. Mm-hmm. So if you watch the NHL now, or if you have for the past 25 or 30 years, the league is getting more diverse, not less white, I guess I should say, but like, the league is spreading out much more in America. It is getting there. There is way more of a black contingent than there used to be. Like the NHL has been way late on that, but it's, it has gotten better slowly, but it's also gotten extremely European. And you'll notice 
Ralph Kruger is kind of an exception himself. Like there aren't a lot of European coaches. There's mostly Canadian coaches. There are some Americans, you know, American sweetheart, John Tortorella, for example, but it's really, really Canadian. And it's kind of described as seemingly in a previous as a, an old boys club. So they're kind of wondering why Nolan's not coaching anymore. So there's a couple of things here. Nolan grew up ex- extreme poverty in, in rural Canada in an indigenous community. So I think he has an interesting story to tell. He worked his way up. He was a great hockey player. He became a coach at multiple levels. He has two sons that played in the league and both played the AHL now, I think. So he has some kind of interesting perspective on what it's like to be a non-white person coaching in an extremely white sport. But the way the preview, they obviously put a very incendiary part of the interview as a preview. And what he basically says in it, two things that I kind of are, I think are strange and I think should be pushed back on a little bit. One is about him being incentivized to lose as a Sabres coach. We all know that. I'd like to know when this interview comes out, if there's anything specific he's, he was told. I assume he's referring to the 2014-15 season where the Sabres at one point won 10 of 13 games in like the November, December range. I assume he's talking about that. But then also kind of at the end uh, says he thinks he would have a job if he was white. Now it's impossible to say, obviously you have to imagine like with it being an old boys club, the way I just described that you are better off being white. Probably you're better off being, you know, just like everyone else in the old boys club grew up playing hockey with each other, played juniors together, you know, whatever being part of a network. It makes sense. Uh, but a couple of things. So first of all, and this is a, a thing I, I can't stand because there's still a few stragglers that are like Ted Nolan was a good Sabres coach, like on a second run. And the Sabres 10, 10 of 13 stretch I mentioned there, which people thought was going to quote unquote mess up the tank. It didn't end up messing the tank, which to tell you something on its own, the Sabres uh, earned 20 points on a 13 game stretch and still finished with 54 points. So that's uh, less than a half a point a game pace for the rest of the season outside of that stretch. Secondly, I'll never forget from this stretch is that it, they had a 105 PDO Good while Lord. being at, yeah, 940 goaltending and 11 shooting percentage. Now they were a team that had no shooting talent. And despite the fact that they got good goaltending for a lot of the year, no goaltending talent. They had Michael Neuverth and Jonas Enroth. Those are very mediocre guys. Mm-hmm. And the shooting talent was not mediocre. It was shit. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> um, so that was, that was all luck. It was complete luck. Uh, the team played with no structure. Even, even as talentless as they were, and even as haphazardly thrown together, and even with Murray trading both goalies before the deadline, um, they weren't well coached. And they weren't well coached the year prior either, even though they did do better under Nolan than Rolston. I even remember, I don't remember exactly who it was, but someone the next season playing on other teams asking, being asked by a media member, uh, how is this different than your experience in Buffalo last year? And him saying like, oh yeah, we actually, you know, we have like set plays, we have a structure, we plan with the obvious implication being that they didn't in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. There's always rumors about the Nolan era that sometimes he didn't know who they were playing on a given night, things like that. Uh, but I do want to get at this broader idea of like whether he deserves to have a job or whether it's expo- worth exploring why he doesn't have a job. I know I'm kind of rambling here, but no, go ahead. Keep going. No, he doesn't deserve to have a job in the <laughs> NHL right now. Now I you agree. might say maybe, maybe he, he says if he was white, that he would have a job. Maybe there are, you know, 
maybe there, not even maybe there are a lot of white guys that get like a third or fourth job and it's like come on oh yeah <laughs> like oh, yeah. we're gonna try this shit again <laughs> how many times is peter DeBoer gonna get a job i mean even but, it's horrible and pretty much like every sport with that like the nfl with that is maybe yeah. the worst but probably pretty close with the nhl actually but anyways go on yeah so just just going through nolan's history nolan has never been a good coach there is some idea that nolan was a good coach in the 90s there's a very weird situation that's before our time and before a lot of our listeners time where the sabers in nolan's second year nolan the sabers won the division for the first time in a good while nolan wins the jack adams gm john muckler wins executive of the year and they both get fired going into the next year now they did uh, make the conference finals and finals the years after that. So they'll probably quieted down like the, why'd you do that? There's a lot of drama involving Hashik, a lot of weird rumors, but here's an important thing. Really important. Neither of them deserve those awards. <laughs> <laughs> Just looking at this right now, the Sabres in 1996-97, when they won the division, they won 40 games. So as a point of fact, they won less than half their games. That's when ties were still a thing, but whatever. They did win their division. They were outshot by nearly 700 shots in the regular season. So that's eight, nine Pays shots. They have a freak all-time great goaltender. Yeah, and they they were known to be gritty, but they had a, a decent, like, I don't know, five, six guys that could score between 15 and 20 goals, but no one that was too talented. Like, no one that was going to score 30 or 35 even. So Hockey Reference has the, say, the stat, goals saved above average which as I understand it basically is the situation you're put in, how many saves would, how many goals would a regular goalie allow in? And this is how far below you are that. Okay. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So only nine goalies in the league that year were double digits in the positive. You can be negative obviously because you can save less goals than the average goalie. So it, it normalizes to zero. It's hard to get to 10 10 would be very good. So, for example, 10th place is Jocelyn Tebold, who had nine. Uh, then you have like Patty Laleem, Sean Burke, Van Viesbrook. You even have really good guys like uh, Wah and Brodeur, second and third. Wah saved 34 goals above average that year. Brodeur saved 36. Hashik saved 54. Oh my God. 54 goals above average he saved that year. So that's it. So when I, I will not listen to anything anyone says about how Muckler and Nolan should have kept their jobs at that time. Secondly, uh, Nolan was offered jobs. So he actually was offered the job. He wasn't exactly fired. His contract was up. Muckler was fired. They bring in Darcy Regeer. Regeer offers Nolan the job, but on a one-year contract for not that much money. Now, Nolan was insulted as the reigning Jack Adams winner, but as I just laid out, he shouldn't have been. Um, And he turned it down. I think it's it's a reasonable thing for Darcy to do because you know, you don't want to get married to this coach for a long time. You, you want to evaluate him. You're a new GM and you're your own guy. Yeah. Get your own guy. You're in a team and win now mode. So just we'll see, but he didn't take it. And then Nolan was actually offered the head coaching job of the lightning that off season. Now lightning were an expansion team still that not new expansion, but they were relatively new. Mm -hmm. They weren't good. Nolan turned it down and then he turned down an assistant coaching job. And then he didn't coach for like six years. He went to juniors. No, that that's important. Back to the Islanders, right? Yeah. He turned down jobs. Then he went to the Islanders peaked as an eight seed 
the Islanders kind of dysfunctional. Uh, they lost to the Sabres in the first round. Then they missed the playoffs. They weren't particularly good. They ended up drafting Tavares eventually first overall. But he got fired. Rumors that he didn't get along with Garth Snow, who was the GM at that time. And then he like was kind of out of it again after that. Mm-hmm. And that's when he, he coached Team Latvia. Again, another another team carried by spectacular goaltending uh, and getting outshot like crazy. And then he he coached the Sabres Chris as well. Steps uh, right? I think. Yeah, he was a, he was a Lightning prospect. Yeah, yeah, he was one of like two NHL prospects on that team with Gergensen's. Uh, but yeah, he came to the Sabres, and I've already laid out how that was a disaster. And it's like everyone who Ted Nolan was not a good coach. In fact, I don't want to I don't want to pile on the guy because he's had an impressive life considering where he came from. But he was a really bad coach, and he had multiple stops now has not gotten along with people, mm. and he turned down work. Like this is that's 24 years ago, 1997, but like he was turning down jobs and then he got a reputation after that in the late nineties. Like he was a quote unquote GM killer. I don't know. He got one GM fired. So I just, I, I, there will be more coming out after it comes out on Friday. I'm sure about this situation, but I would like to say I was fine with having Nolan in that time because I was fine with someone who would get the players to play hard who would get people to care and whoever was still on the team that was whoever was on the team that I wanted around in a couple of years, which is very few people to kind of keep them grounded, to keep them motivated. And, but also to be a bad enough coach that they would lose. And he was the perfect storm of all of those. Yeah. And it worked and they got Eichel cause I did want them to lose that mm-hmm. part worked. I should say then Tim Murray, you know, the rest of his tenure won't get into it. Right. I'll just say, I mean, the only thing I'll really say on that, I agree with, with all of that. So there's not really a whole lot more for me to add, because like you said, I don't think that he's just like that great of a coach, especially when you consider like what today's NHL is as compared to what it was in the nineties when he was a coach. Um, I mean, I, I do have time at least though for him to, I don't know if it's necessarily making the argument, but like, it's a valid point for him to say like, yeah, I went into a situation unknowingly set up for failure. Like all along when I was hired, the goal was to fail. And, and, and that, like, I completely get Like, I, I totally understand it. I mean, what like human being would not be upset about that? Um, if it was happening to you, I mean, obviously, you know, knowing you and I back then and and a lot of other people, we were psyched about the fact that they were bad because it meant we were going to get Eichel or McDavid, but you know, uh, that I do understand. And I have sympathy for, because yeah, if you go into a job and you're just like, you're hired because you are going to make this team even worse than it already is like, yeah, that, I mean, that's a sucky feeling, but to your point though, like you said, he had other opportunities on the table. He was with the Islanders. Um, and his just coaching style does not translate into today's NHL. I mean, it's getting, it's, it's adapt or die. And like, even though it is an old boys club, like I definitely agree with that. And I also want to make clear too, that there is a definite undeniable level of, of racism and discrimination in the NHL um, that, that are, there's no debating that. It's in this instance, though, it's just like you're not a good coach and the style of coaching that you subscribe to is not adaptable to success or, uh, you know, like in today's NHL. Yeah. So like just to put a bow on this, like 
Yeah, uh, Vander Kane and Akima Lou, who helped create the uh, Hockey Diversity Alliance, mm-hmm. they want there to be more like diversity in coaching, basically. And that's something that we, the NHL should strive to have. I mean, absolutely. And even like the NBA, which is a significantly more diverse league in every way, even with coaching, still struggles in that regard. Right. It's coaching, anyway. it's front office, it's. Oh, yeah. front office more than anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, interested to see how that turns out. Uh, do we want to get to the questions? You're goddamn right we do. Uh, yeah, I would love to. So as we had mentioned at the top of the show, everybody, earlier today, Taylor and I had the thought that we wanted to do a mailbag. We did it last season a couple of times, but this is our first one that we've done for this season and in 2021. Uh, also, for what it's worth, too, we thanks to our uh, one of our presenters, Buffalo Fanatics, had a, a pretty good amount of new followers who uh, joined us on Twitter. So if you're listening and you're one of those new followers, welcome. We're very, very happy to have you. Uh, but it gave us the idea to do a mailbag and see if we can, you know, get some fun questions out there because we always encourage people to not only ask us about Sabres questions, um, ask us fun Sabres questions, ask us non-hockey related questions, non-sports related questions, just pretty much anything. So we had a pretty good mix. Uh, we have 13 questions altogether. Some of them are going to take a little bit more to kind of get through and talk about. Some of them are pretty hilarious. So props to everybody who uh, who got creative with it. But Taylor, are you are you ready? Shall we jump in? Yep. All right, so why don't we start off first then uh, with a friend of uh, friend of the show, good follower of ours, uh, good pal Sam Santiago at Slam and Sammy two two one. He asked us on Twitter, "Who are you most impressed with on the team so far this season?" Who do you got for that, Taylor? I'm gonna go with Dylan Cousins, uh, mostly because he's been not a surprise, but like a good like. Uh, yeah, it's a surprise. The Sabres drafted someone out of the top two who's good. So that's a little bit of a surprise. But someone who's shown more than they had in the past just by the virtue of the fact that he didn't play for the Sabres in the past. So like Eichel, obviously I haven't loved his start. Not that it's bad or anything. Taylor Hall, kind of the same thing. There's been a go- bunch of guys like that. Cousins didn't know what to expect. Again, the Sabres have drafted a lot of guys in the first round have sucked. But he's been awesome. I already talked about him. I, pretty much the reasons I laid out earlier. Uh particularly uh that snipe he's got going oh yeah oh yeah cousins honestly was my pit was an initial thought of mine i should say um i'm gonna go a little different because i didn't want to go with the same one as you because i mean yeah cousins has been amazing uh no casey middle statting happening there but uh i would say in terms of like impressing this might be a little bit of like a weird answer at first listen but I I think I'm going to go with Sam Reinhardt actually. And there's a reason for this. I think that even myself included, and I am like president of the Sam Reinhardt fan club. Like I, I think he is a, a great player, a great two-way player, but I mean, I think this season, especially he's shown like he brings something to the table for them that you really, I don't think are going to get from a whole lot of other forwards. Um, in the NHL, a couple of the things that have really jumped out to me is that, I mean, it's no secret that he was what Eichel and Hall needed to get that top line going because they really looked uninspired the first uh, few games of the season. I think people and us included, I still feel this way that they should break up Hall and Eichel or uh, Hall and Eichel. But as soon as they put Sam there, they dominated um, and have been dominating. And I just think that, 
you know, every season it's like Jack either isn't playing great or he's going through a slump or whatever. And, you know, we always say, oh, you can just attach anybody to Jack and he's going to make them better. But the thing is, is that Sam makes Jack better. So to me, having that guy that is in a way like that grounding presence for the top line that always gets people going no matter where he's playing because he's had sec- he's had success without Jack. I mean, he's been he's been pretty solid without him. And this year, you know, it made sense to split him up uh, from J- split him and Jack up. But I mean, it just goes to show like, you know, I'm OK with the fact that like, yeah, Sam should and can play on his own, but I'm, I'm cool with the fact that like he makes your star player better and vice versa, because as we've learned, you can't just put anybody with Jack because yeah, sure. He can drag them around, but when you have somebody that can actually get him going, that makes Jack a way, way, way more effective player. I also just really like his two-way game too. I mean, it's grown so much year by year and every game that I watch this season, I really can't even i'm sure if you went back you could find something but i can't think of one scenario where a puck has come up his boards and he has not successfully gotten it out of the zone i don't have the numbers to back that off off the top of my head but there was a couple of times last night and really just pretty much every game throughout the season where he either gets the puck has the time to be able to make that perfect breakout pass or he gets the puck along the boards and he's able to do something as simple as just getting a good chip up to get it into the neutral zone. So I would say Sam has really, really impressed me um, just for proving, I guess, what his value is because, you know, with him, it's like, he's a second overall pick. And so because he's not like a point per game player, people get down on him a little bit and are like, Oh, well, you know, he's, he's underwhelming for a, a second overall pick. But the thing is, is like, not to get too eye test or whatever, but he does so much that does not come up on the score sheet or does not come up um, whether it's in, in charts and, and what he contributes to other people's, you know, whether it's expected goal rates or what have you. I mean, he just, he helps everybody who he is playing with when he is on the ice. And I think that that's very valuable and, not something that you can say for a lot of players on this team or people who have been on this team over the past decade. Uh, otherwise though, I mean, there's some like other low key guys. I think I've been really surprised in a good way by Sheehan. Um, he's definitely impressed me considering he was this like late addition that they kind of were just like, yeah, we're going to bring him in. And, you know, even though he has the benefit of playing with Skinner, I think that he's at least looked pretty stable, which is really, I mean, all you can ask for, I guess, considering the Sabres track record of bottom six forwards. But uh, yeah, those are kind of the three for me, cousin Sam and, uh, and Sheehan. And then, I mean, on defense too, I, we I talked about it before, but Ristolainen and McCabe have definitely been a, a very pleasant surprise. Um, all right, let's move ahead on to another question. Uh, <laughs> there's some, there's some good ones here. Let's get into a, a non on ice question. Uh, your brother, Taylor, the very, very handsome Torin Nigrelli. Love that man. He tweeted at us asking who we would replace Rob Ray with in the Sabres broadcast booth to improve the uh, the broadcast. And I think we probably both have the same answer for this. Probably. Who do you got? Marty Braun. You're goddamn right. So Marty's been really great since they added him. Uh, he replaced Brad May in the studio. He's got great chemistry with Duffer, Brian Duff. Mm-hmm. He's really insightful. He's fun to listen to. 
I know he, I wouldn't say there's a language barrier. He grew up bilingual. So he does, you know, he's speaks, he's French Canadian. So he speaks uh, both and you can kind of tell. So he doesn't, I wouldn't say he talks the exact same as a, you know, someone who is just a native English speaker, but neither does Rob Ray. Um, <laughs> um, so I think Marty would be great. He's really funny. And, and honestly, I, I, the only thing would be like, I wonder if, you know, he would be able to adjust to doing it color wise, as opposed to doing in the studio, like being in the studio is different. You get to sit there for like the entirety of the period, gather a couple thoughts, think about a couple funny things to say and then go off for a couple minutes. Whereas colors, you know, you got to notice and get things right away. And Ray is sometimes good with that. It's just that I don't think he has, you know, he's not very insightful. Right. So hopefully right. Marty would be good at adjusting to that. And then I wouldn't mind moving uh, Rob Ray to the studio then. You're it not, would be such a good a match. Yeah. Like, like I he, think he could get, he could have good uh, chemistry with Brian Duff. He, he's, he's fun to have around and I don't know. It gives you the opportunity to be a little bit more relaxed when you're in the studio in between periods. And like you said, he can take notes as he goes along. He can, you know, write some jokes because obviously he loves to crack jokes. Uh, You know, I will say this, like, I think Rob Ray and Rick have like a good chemistry together. Um, But he's like you said, he's not really insightful. He doesn't really give you a whole lot. Whereas when you listen to Marty, even though it is between periods, he is able to deconstruct the game in a very digestible way and also i just like enjoy listening to him i i i you know quebec accent and all i it's great like i think he's just like a very fun guy he's obviously a very beloved saver um so i'm i'm with you on that one marty i think is the is the easy answer all righty so um shannon McHugh, good friend of uh good friend of the show uh she had tweeted at us saying do you think the sabers are playing like a team that's sixth in i believe she means the division or playing worse so pretty much do you feel like the sabers are playing to at the level of where they are in the standings or better or worse well, so I picked him to be six in the division and they are right now. So it'd be really wow. tempting to say, wow, I was super right, but no, they're playing better. Like they played well, they've played as good or better than every team they played except for opening night against Washington. And that hasn't always shown up on the score sheet and goaltending obviously is a huge part of that. Like you can't just ignore it. The Sabres are going to have bad goaltending probably all year. Uh, but no, I think they've played better than that. I think they've played well enough to be a fringe playoff team so far through the uh, just first two weeks of the season. They've, yeah, they have impressed me. And I think they are better than the sixth place team. I think like watching them against the Rangers last night, I thought they were solidly better than the Rangers. I think we'll think that about the Devils too this weekend. And who knows? We'll see. They didn't look any that much worse than the Capitals when they played the Capitals. And that also comes with, as we've talked about throughout the season, you know, Jack and Darlene looking a lot um, less promising in those games than maybe they have as of late. Yeah. Um, really, especially after like last night. But I'm with you. I think that they've been playing better than what their record indicates. And I think that's also, you know, shown in in the advanced stats as well in a lot of their uh, underlying numbers. I mean, they just honestly, it just comes down to they're not getting puck luck. And their goaltending hasn't been great. Um, they're getting quality chances. They're generating pretty quality, high danger chances. 
Uh, and it's, they just need the goalies to make a save, honestly. Uh, so hopefully they'll be able to address that so they could kind of really full, like see through their, their full potential there. All right. Here's one from uh, a, a dear friend of mine, Tyler Sakura. He asked us at T Sakura seven one six on Instagram. What is your Mount Rushmore of the top foods to eat at a Buffalo sporting event? I have some takes on this, but I want to hear what you have to say first. So this is stadium food at at a new era. No, not new era anymore. At Bill Stadium and at KeyBank Center. Correct. So stadium food isn't great. Even here in Buffalo, I think there's a lot of great food to eat while you watch sports, just not while you're at the games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I gave it some thought. Uh, at Sabres game was one of my go-tos is Pizza Logs, which is one of their sponsors. <laughs> the thing is, I th- I think they only come with three. So I usually get like a double order of pizza logs, which I enjoy a lot. Pizza logs are great. It's really hard to screw them up. And the quote unquote original pizza logs that sponsor them are really good. They're some of the better pizza logs. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also go with, uh, so these other next two, I think are one-off things. I'm not sure they are consistent, but I had them once each and I was blown away. One of them, it was a pulled pork sandwich at the Sabres game. Let me explain why on this. There's a little bit of a backstory. So I worked at Mighty Taco in the summer of 2015. It's the last kind of service industry job I ever had and hope to ever have. And it was one of the upsides is every day you got free food. Well, comps food. You got like uh, five or six dollars worth of it. And since it's the summer, they had their pulled pork deal. So I just decided, you know, I put my own spin on it. And I had it with cheddar cheese and ranch dressing inside. Ooh. Fantastic. Great stuff. Ooh. Everyone was like, Taylor, it's disgusting. Taylor, you're a pervert. You should be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were right. But the Sabres disagree. One night I'm at a Sabres game. They have a pulled pork sandwich with cheddar cheese and ranch dressing on it, among other things. Wow. And I felt very validated. I was like, the Sabres wouldn't do something stupid and gross. <laughs> So I ate it and it was great. Um, the next one is something I got at a Bills game that I never, I've been looking for for years, every time I go there since, and I've never seen it again, which was a, it was a hot dog that had pulled pork on it. Wow. It fantastic. Basically a double pork dog. It was great. I loved it. Don't have much more to say. I might've been drinking a little bit before, but it was fantastic. And the next one is, uh, you know, it wouldn't be, Buffalo sporting event with a little, without a little bit of a uh, liquid dinner. So I'm going to go with, I got a 24 ounce Labatt Max cherry at a Sabres game a couple years ago. And let me tell you those things, just one of them. It's the job done. Not the job done, but it gets the job started real, real far along. Okay. Okay. All right. So for mine, I like those. Those are good ones. Um, My toes had a heartbeat. I'll put it that way. (laughs) Hard to follow that. Um, For mine, I'm much more inclined to have more Sabres game related food items just because throughout the course of my life, I've gone to significantly more Sabres games and I really didn't start going to Bill's games like often until like, honestly, like after I graduated college so like post like 2016, Um, but I mean, I had pretty much like early two thousands up until now of like Sabres games consistently. And so my number one on my Mount Rushmore, I'm a classic guy and I really would just love to fuck up a good soft pretzel anytime, (laughs) any place. And 
The Sabres see they've it's been a little inconsistent over the years because when you go back now, I'm talking like 2000, pretty much like the the 2000s into I would say the early 2010s. Them boys were huge. They had just absolute monstrosities of soft pretzels and it was great because with the uh, season tickets that I have with my dad, we, we were right on the aisle. So it was perfect. You can walk out at any time. You're right there. Boom. Perfect. Beautiful, large pretzels waiting just to be vacuumed into my body. Then I'm just saying around uh, 2013, 2014, if anything significant happened around that time, ownership change, cough, cough. The pretzels got smaller, Taylor. And I'm not just saying like smaller, like, oh, whatever, it's pretzels. Like the old pretzels I'm talking about from back in the day were, I, I don't even know how to compare them. I mean, it was, they were massive. And then the ones that they had, like pretty much after the Pagulas got there, shrunken size, I want to say maybe by like an inch plus, which wow. if you're talking pretzels, that's a pretty sizable difference if we're going like all the way around. However, what I will say is, though, is right near the um, – oh, God, where's the what, – what is the part of the arena called on the 100-level concourse where it's like all like the bars over there? Um, the Odd Club? The Odd Club, yeah. Uh, over there now, probably mixing the whole beer and pretzels thing together, last season they introduced a real nice thick boy that – was not a return to form, so I don't want to get ahead of myself and give too much credit here, but it more satisfying than what they were previously offering. So my biggest hope for the future of the Buffalo Sabres is not their success in the playoffs, but it is that they can reclaim their old glory of the pretzels, the soft pretzels from the 2000s. Yeah, so, so they used to have Brendan sized pretzels, and now they have Taylor-sized pretzels. Wow. The best analogy we could have given. We need to like post a picture of us standing next to each other so people can understand that better because when we post <laughs> videos, they just see our top selves. Um, all right. So that's number one for me. Number two, again, at the Sabres game, recently I have tried past couple years, they actually, even though they are grossly overpriced, make a mean chicken sandwich different kinds they do there's a, a couple of different like buffalo chicken sandwiches that i've had over the years but it's good you get the fries with it so you're kind of getting like a nice meal it's a little bit more filling so i guess in a way you're getting your money's worth still probably a few dollars overpriced but gets the job done and you know with the sabers it's different from being at a bills game because oftentimes when you're at a bills game you are completely inebriated and i cannot fathom trying to hold a sandwich in the middle of a crowded bills game while i'm drunk um just wouldn't work. I drop it in probably like two seconds. Uh, but at a Sabres game, you're nice and settled. You know, you got to only stand when they score. And over the past few years, that has not been very often. So oftentimes I'm screaming, you know, profanities while I'm sitting in the comfort of my chair, eating a chicken sandwich and not having to worry about getting up and cheering for a goal. So that one I would also put up there for me. I'm also going to say this one is a little bit of a different one, but tied into childhood i always in the third my my go-to for as far back as i can remember up until like the, the few years ago i would always go pretzel and cheese in the first period third period ice cream cone and i'm telling you the soft serve 
at Key Bank Center does not fuck around, folks. Mm. If you are ever just and when I say soft serve, that's a little bit versatile too, because I'm I'm a cone guy. I like to go for the cone, but also though, the brownie sundae that they throw down at Key Bank, who baby. Really nice way, nice little satisfying treat for yourself again, because you are usually miserable and ice cream is a good comfort food. So a little bit of a tie in there. And then, I mean, you know, it's tough. I've actually had uh, a couple of pretty good burritos at KeyBank, which normally I don't tread outside of like the traditional kind of food waters, whether it's like French fries or like, you know, sometimes you'll get like chicken strips or whatever, or chicken nuggets, whatever the fuck they have there, the pretzel, you know, but I got, I, I've gotten a burrito a couple times last year, actually. And uh, again, it's the same thing where it's like, it's a non-traditional hockey food or sports food. But uh, it does the job similar to, I guess, getting like a Lloyd burrito at the Bills game that I have done before. So just a general burrito thing. It's nice, easy to stick to like to hold together too. if you have like a wrapping over it, just because if you're standing up, you're moving around, you could be a little bit mobile with it as compared to something like a pretzel where you have to carry in a box or, you know, and it, it just makes it a little bit easier to, to move around. So I would say that's that's probably my top four. Good stuff. Good stuff indeed. What do we got next? All right. What do we got next? Um, we have a couple of uh, <laughs> of like sanitation uh, questions out here. Uh, so one of them that I think we could start off with is uh, from Pat McMahon at I am Pat McMahon, uh, old, old pal of ours. Uh, how would you rank the Sabres roster from worst smelling to best smelling? So we're not going to do the entire roster of like 26 guys, but I think we can go best smelling guests and our worst smelling guests. Who do you have for yours? So the worst smelling, and I, I know I've already said good things about this guy. So I'm allowed to say this Dylan cousins, because he's a teenager. Real. Okay. You know, teens that they don't smell good. I know he's not 13 or whatever, but that's the only thing I could muster. I don't know. I mean, the thing is they're hockey players. So like they smell bad 75% of their life. Um, just how it is you know you're always in that smelliest equipment those old ass gloves you're like jay mckee you use the same shin pads from the 90s thanks uh, a lot. so cousins is my guest just because like i don't know maybe he didn't maybe no one's taught maybe he hasn't met a nice girlfriend to teach him about face washing or you know maybe you need to use that second uh stick of deodorant like you know second second ap- application after your skate around okay okay and for best i have two one, I went through the roster and looked at all their faces and said, who looks like they smell good? Who looks like they got some like cologne life going on? Things like that. So I have two, I have a serious answer and a, I don't know, not serious answer. My serious answer was Tage. Cause I just see oh. the way he looks and like dresses. And I'm like, that's, that probably is a good cologne guy. Like he probably doesn't leave home without it. My other one is I couldn't help but notice based on last year and this year so far, as far as expected results versus results or how someone looks on the ice versus what actually happens when they're on the ice that Brandon Montour really falls in shit and comes out smelling like roses. True. So true. uh, (laughs) That's more of a, that's just based on an old saying from the 19th century, but I wanted to work that in there. I like it. I like it. So I have some new 1880s material. Yeah. Hey, you got to throw it out there. I mean, if there's ever a place to do it, it's here. Um, I'm differing from you, though, on both of those, namely the worst smelling. 
I, I am very firm in my belief of who I believe is the worst smelling. And it is Cody Eakin. And let me tell you why, folks. Okay. As hockey players go, as Taylor said, they, the majority of the time, they are definitely smelling. But, you know, after games, of course, they all have to shower. So it, it might be hard to differentiate who is actually, you know, who smells better than who. But what I will say is, though, is that mullet and mustache combo that he has, there has to be some scent of grossness reeking off of that a little bit. Even if he's just getting out of the shower, that mullet is so dirty that there's just a natural foul aroma that has to just be coming off of it at all times. So, I mean, maybe that's why he has it. Maybe that's like an intimidation thing on the ice that somebody goes up for a Facebook uh, face off against him. And is like, Holy shit, this guy smells like ass. Uh, I don't know, but I'm going to say due to that, probably Cody Eakin, my best smelling. I have two answers. One, I have Carter Hutton. Uh, because he's a father. And I feel like if you're a dad, you got to probably pretty well taken care of because you're having to take care of other, you know, you know kids and you got to be clean, you know? Uh, clean is a big thing to emphasize with children. I would not know. I am not a parent. Uh, I can barely keep a plant alive. But uh, my other choice, though, for best smelling, and this was just vibes, just quick look, vibe that you smell good. Henry Yoki Haru. He's mm. just a... He's a very clean cut looking dude. He's he he's seen, you know, he's he looks like he's got good skin, so he's taking care of himself. Um, I, I would say opposite of Dylan Cousins, he probably does have a nice face cleansing routine. Maybe he uses the Pagula's cleanser for all we know. You know, that it very well could be. So I'm gonna go Yoki Haru though as like my firm pick for best smelling. All right. Fair enough. So then we actually actually followed up similar. Who has the best hair? Torrin's so, Torrin, who we mentioned before, his lovely girlfriend, I should add. Who do you got? Uh, be, uh, best hair is there's only one guy on the team that looks like a star from early 2000s Adult Swim animation, and that's uh, <laughs> Rasmus Ristolainen with that Frylock shit he's got going on, especially because it, it like matches his goatee. Hmm. Oh yeah. So I'm going to go with him. It's pretty scary. It's intimidating. He just, he does not seem like a a very happy camper. No, I don't know uh, what's going on with that. I mean, all the way around, but I I saw that and I was like, all right, that's something. I'm going to go undeniable. I'm not going to say Eric Stahl, you know, that's not happening. Why? You know, this is not a situation where I have to be nice to Eric Stahl. <laughs> like I have to admit, you know, that he's been pretty good in the last few games and he's a decent second line center, but I don't have to admit that I like his hair. So I feel like it would make more sense that you would like his hair rather than admitting that he's good. No, if he's good, he's good. That's that works for me. I mean, I, I would pick him just be those luscious blonde locks are pretty solid. But I mean, if we're going to play it like that, I mean, Vic has a pretty nice head of hair. He's got a nice slick back going on. Pretty respectable. It's fair. That's not bad. Yeah, we could put doesn't him look up. like Frylock though. He doesn't. No, no. I, I mean, yeah, I guess the Risto pick is, is probably a safe, solid one. Um, all right, let's keep going here. Uh, what else do we got? Okay, Evan Drebot, he sent us a question asking, is there a realistic path forward for Casey Middlestat to become a decent middle six player? 
No. <laughs> yeah. No, there's not. Probably. I mean, I don't know. He's he's played we're in the draft plus four year and he can't get on the ice for a pretty good team. A team that's he doing didn't look too well. bad when he played the other night though. I will give him that. That's fair. But a couple things though here. When, okay. Most of the time he's been on the ice. He's been actively bad. Like he wouldn't be a good fourth liner. Mm-hmm. Middle six. I really, really, I have an extremely hard time seeing that he'd have to be completely different. He'd have to have a, a crazy turnaround. And certainly mm-hmm. he wasn't even mm-hmm. scoring at a good rate in the AHL last year. Mm-hmm. And middle six might be overshooting it now, which is sad because he's like 22 years old and he, or 21, whatever. And he was a top 10 pick in 2017. But there are guys that end up being like, okay, that guy wasn't as good as you thought, but he's like, he reinvented himself or he's been an okay fourth liner. People thought Curtis Lazar was going to be a really good prospect. He's a useful NHL player now, mm-hmm. not what he, people thought he was going to be. But maybe Middlestead ends up being the guy with decent somewhat quote-unquote scoring punch on a fourth line at some point I don't know if that's for the savers but like he is a major uh sunk cost and he huge disappointment huge disappointment and it's already to the point where like you're not getting at all what you drafted and you'll be lucky if you get half of that yeah I'm with you I it's hard because I want to say that like he can figure it out because he is young still but with him it seems like it's just like a pace thing. Like he doesn't have the conditioning to keep up. And that has been the case pretty much every time we've seen him on the ice. Uh, He has a lot of really solid, natural raw ability for sure. I mean, he has great hands. He's got a pretty nice shot when he can get it off, but I I just don't feel confident in him carving out any kind of a role. Um, So I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I hope we're both wrong on that. And I hope we find out this season that we're both wrong with that. Yep. Um, all right. So let's get back into, uh, some of the other, uh, bigger picture questions here. Uh, I'm going to butcher Nick's last name. Taylor, what is Nick's last name? It's Nick J. No, it's Nick Konotopsky. I hope he's listening. That's an inside joke. Okay. Well, Nick, he had asked us, what would you say is the biggest key for the Sabres to make a run at the playoffs? I feel like a shortened season helps us, but the division presents so many roadblocks. So what do you have for that, Taylor? Um, so the, there's two big keys, because I think if things keep going the way they are now, the way the, the skaters are playing, the two things. One, goaltending can't be too bad. Has to be just kind of bad. <laughs> needs to be changed completely if we're being honest. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. However it happens, it doesn't have to be great. It doesn't even have to be that a- average would be good. But slightly below average, I'll take whatever. Secondly, all right. There's only one way to make the playoffs. Finish top 4 in your division. That means one of Boston, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh or Washington needs to be supplanted. Looking at it now early, right? But Boston doesn't seem to be too hurt by Pasternak missing the beginning of the year or losing Tori Krug or Chara. That's going to be tough to get over them. They had a, they were ahead of the Sabres by like 40 points last year. Washington has taken seven out of eight points from the Sabres. So that's not good. That's a bad start. If you want to finish ahead of them, they look pretty good, even though they're missing four of their key players. So I think the other key is you have to pass one of those Philadelphia teams and the Islanders to be clear. I guess we're showing disrespect to the Islanders. You have to beat all three New York teams, which I think they should be able to do. I would even go so far to say is they're more talented than all three New York teams, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't care about Islanders fans. What are you going to do? Yell at me on Twitter. 
Pittsburgh and Philadelphia have not looked a hundred percent to start this year. They haven't looked as good as last year. So hopefully that keeps up because yes, in one hand, you have to beat whatever team you're trying to pass. On the other hand, they could just always suck and <laughs> that would make it a lot easier. Yeah. So that that's basically the two, the two things I need, I think need to happen in addition to obviously they need to keep playing well. I agree. I don't think that, I don't think they get there without making a move um, without some kind of a trade. I, first and foremost, I think it needs to be for a goalie. Um, I mean, that is, I think the key thing that they need to do right now. I don't know who is necessarily available and out there. Um, you know, the thing, the point I made last week and, you know, it's going to keep holding true is that unfortunately there's a difference between who's available and who is actually going to provide the value that you need. Um I don't really like the idea of Marc-Andre Fleury. I know his name has been thrown out there. Uh, I think that there is certainly a chance that maybe a change of scenery. He has like the whole Vegas thing happen again, and it gives him an extra jolt. Uh, But even at retaining half of his salary, it just doesn't really seem like it makes a whole lot of sense to me when, I mean, anti-Ranta, or if you can try and pay something and get Georgiev from the Rangers, um, somebody else you just need to get another goalie because Hutton is just not going to cut it. Uh, And then also too, I think that they can use some secondary scoring help. You know, as we had mentioned before, their expected goal rates have been really solid, but they just aren't getting the puck luck to just put them all away. Um, I think that's going to come with time, but I also think that like last year, we'll probably see a, a a regression uh, in terms of their play at five from five on five. Um, this year has, uh, has been better. Don't get me wrong, like all around with that, but I just don't, I, I think that they need something more for their third line. Um, I know that the bottom three lines are kind of all getting deployed fairly, e- uh, evenly, but I just, I think that they need another scoring threat, uh, if they're really going to be able to make a push and overtake one of the teams that are, you know, by and large projected to make it over them. But I think it's possible. I definitely think it's possible. It's and and like Nick had said too. I mean, the shortened season could end up playing to their benefit as well. Yeah, so, definitely. All right, let's uh, go to Austin. Austin Wright or August? Excuse me, not yeah, August Wright. Uh, in your opinions, does Skinner deserve more than the fourth line? This is something I have been thinking about a lot. Um, and I, it's a, I think it's a complex answer that I don't know if there is a, a right or wrong answer to necessarily. Um, my gut reaction is, yes, he should not be playing with Riley Sheehan and Curtis Lazar. As we had talked about last episode, though, he has been getting minutes that are pretty on par with, again, the rest of the forwards outside of the first line. Um, where I run into the issue is he, I think needs and deserves to have more talent around him. Undeniably. I think that he should in a, in a perfect scenario. Yes, he should. But the problem is, is he is playing so well that he's at least getting some value out of that fourth line and is maximizing Sheehan and Lazar. If you move him up the lineup, you know, the gut instinct of what you would want to do would be to move down Olafson because he hasn't had good five on five numbers, 
But by doing that, then you are pretty much completely plummeting that line with Sheehan and Lazar because Olafson cannot create in the way that Skinner can. Um, so it's tough. It's like, yeah, obviously I want him with stall or I want him just to see how he would be with for a couple of games with Jack, or as I had mentioned previously too, I would really like to see him with Taylor Hall. Um, but he's Ralph kind of lucked into that working out because he did that. It seemed like as a punishment to Skinner for whatever reason, but in reality, it's kind of saving his ass because it is getting value out of that fourth line. And even though they're not putting away uh, all of their opportunities, I mean, Lazar has scored what it doesn't have two goals this season. I think Sheen has a goal. I think they both have three, but they, yeah. Okay. So there you go. So I think I should, I'll look into that. So he, he's, he's creating offensive opportunities for a line that you otherwise would not get that off of. Um, so it's tough because it's like, yeah, best case scenario, a hundred percent, but given the current makeup of this lineup, it's hard to deviate away from that when you're seeing success from it. Do I want him to like the fan in me? Because yeah, you want to get your $9 million or $8 million winger scoring. Like, yeah, of course. But for the cards that were dealt right now, like I'm not, I'm not going to pout about it, I guess, compared to other things that I can get mad about. What do you think? So I was wrong. They have a combined three goals. That's what I, okay. That's what I thought. One has two and the other one has one, right? Yeah. Skinner has about 15 goals that he should have had. That yeah. he hasn't, which is the same story as last year. Uh, but yeah, I think there's some good points made there. I think the big key is you got to keep playing that line as many minutes as a second and third line. Yes. You got to treat those as equal lines. Then you don't treat it like, mm-hmm. Oh, you play six minutes or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if, if you can do that and it's still working then fine, like, I mean, it's a tough situation because like you mentioned, I think moving Olsen down the lineup makes him almost useless. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't really optimize you. Uh, but as if, the lineup looks the way it does right now. This isn't the worst idea. So like, I don't even look, the question is, does he deserve better than the fourth line? The answer is yes, of but this isn't, this isn't really a fourth line. If they can keep playing, uh, if, if the minute structure keeps being what it is, it's not too much of a problem. Right. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. Well, funny thing is with this, um, is that cousins is also pretty much doing the same thing for Eakin and reader Re- mm-hmm. reader which is crazy. Like being a 19 year old, he's also carrying a line. Wouldn't it so be it, awesome if we can just have like a bottom six that didn't rely on one player to just carry them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's not, it, it is an interesting thing though. There's really never a time when the Sabres should be getting dominated. Yeah. Forward wise. Hey, yeah. that, that's, that's not nothing. That's, that's, it's an interesting trend to keep an eye on. We're not, I'm not making any predictions yet. I'm, I'm sticking with sixth place until further notice, but I'm going to stick with fifth until further notice. I'm encouraged. Okay. That's good. That's good. Um, all right. So then we have two off season related questions, actually. Uh, first Connor asked us, how can we free up cap space to sign big free agents? Uh, and then kind of tying in with that, Sam actually asked us a second question. This one also on Instagram, uh, upcoming FAs that the Sabres should watch out for. So who do you got for this Taylor? So, and w- what can they do? Really? The, the thing is the Pagulas need to, if this is to happen, commit to 
spending money for for buyouts like that's basically the way around it that's how you get rid of people like money like the way things are going right now i am almost a little off team trader still lining but we'll see what you know whatever was offered that could change that quickly obviously we'll see but carter hutton's coming off the books that's good that's three and a half million stall will be coming off the books montour will be gone montour will be gone too i assume stall's probably gone gone i don't know we'll see Mm -hmm. so they're guys that you're going to have money freed up already right away with guys that are UFAs from your own team. Um, but the big one is, and this is, this is a, 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 an interesting thing. The pandemic was tough on the Pagulas. I'm sure like they, they got rid of a ton of employees. So I don't think they really wanted to be paying guys to not play hockey, especially with the reports of all the money they were losing on the Sabres. We've covered this a lot, but as much as he's a good guy, I think you have to look into buying out Oposo after the season. He mm-hmm. looks even slower now than he has in the past couple of years. Like he's been effective enough as a bottom six guy, but he makes so much money. There are multiple years six left on it. Plus. Six million plus with, I think, uh, two more years after this year. Yeah. So that's really untenable. You, you really just can't have them around this whole time. They have so many bottom six guys that are making less. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, you'll have Gergensen's back next year, like it or not. Mm-hmm. So that's something that that's the big thing that I would do to, to open up space. And then after that, like you have a ton of space if you can do that. Well, there's, yeah, which, there's a few things. That, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Which would leads me to my, to answer Sam's question. The big UFA that you target is Taylor Hall. Hey, there you go. Nice. Um, all right. So for me agreed with pretty much letting all those guys off the books. I think if there's a way that you can, um, I don't think that they would trade Gergensen's if they can get rid of Eakin somehow, I just don't think that you need to have that kind of money invested in a bottom six guy like him. But outside of that, I agree. I think that it starts with Opozo getting bought out. I also think the other thing that we have to keep in mind here too, and this could really go either way in terms of its effect on the cap, but we do have the expansion draft coming up this summer. Um, And if you are able to rehab, also McCabe is another guy who you don't know if he's going to be back, but if you're able to, you know, maybe drive up the uh, value of somebody that you have a few million invested in um, that wouldn't be like a critical loss and they end up going to Seattle in the expansion draft. I think that there's a way that you can get rid of some money, but also with risk the line in, it is way too early in the season and we have way too much of a track record on him for me to ever be turned off by the idea of trading him. And to me, you're going to be getting into, I believe next year is the last year of his contract. So if you can rehab his image and his value a little bit, drive his value up by playing him in the situations that you have been playing him in um, and making him look a lot more competent than he's looked the past few years. I mean, right there is uh, over five, like 5.2 or 5.3 off the books. So um, and regardless of this, I mean, you're going to have deals for Reinhardt, Darlene and Yoki Haru at the end of this year. So you're going to have to, you know, get a lot of money off somehow. And those three alone are going to take up a decent amount of space, but you do have options though. You do. I think Taylor Hall would be a good one to look at. Um, goaltending is actually kind of interesting. There's a, a couple of guys who 
pique my interest, I'll say, on the free agent market. I still think that they should seek out a goalie through a trade first and foremost. Again, like I mentioned those two guys earlier, my like pipe dream scenario is that we are the ones that can magically rescue John Gibson out of Anaheim. And like, (laughs) if they're not to, you know, bring up bad memories or anything like that, but if there is ever a goalie that I would trade a first round pick for it is John Gibson. And if Anaheim today called and was like, we will give you Gibson for your first this year and next year straight up. I think I would do it. Because I think so, yeah. Yeah, because you I, I just I don't wanna goalies are voodoo and I don't want to bank on UPL and I know Portillo has looked really good too. I still think UPL is gonna end up being good, but like if you can get a guy who is quietly been a top five goalie for the past several seasons who is still young enough, um I'm I'm all in on that. And Gibson, I mean, that's you know, he's having a nice bounce back to this season so far, and I think that He's somebody that I would be cool with investing that in. However, looking to uh, free agency, though, there are a couple of guys who are interesting. Um, Freddie Anderson from Toronto. I know he hasn't been as good as he used to be, uh, but depending on what the price. (laughs) Well, yeah, but depending on the price for him, though, um, because, again, like the goalie market this year in the off season, a lot of those goalies went for less than people had initially anticipated. And so if you can get him on a decent deal, that interests me. I mean, anti Ranta is a free agent at the end of this season too. So like he would probably be like my number one to want to go after in free agency. Um, we don't really know what Colorado's going to end up doing because their goaltending situation hasn't been uh, the most consistent, but Philip Grubauer is a UFA at the end of the year. So he interests me a bit. Um, I mean, really those are the main guys when it comes to, to goalie. And then as far as forwards go, there are some like bigger names who are going to be available, but I don't know if it's anybody that we would necessarily be able to attract here. Uh, I think also, Taylor Hall- I'll go ahead. Just real quick. No, they won't like more like 75% of them will be signed by whenever the off season starts, whether that's maybe August 1st this year. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. They, that's the thing with talking about UFAs at this point, like, most of these guys will not be UFAs. Right. Come right. actual free agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, while we're at least having the pipe dream of, of you know, guys who are at least on the market right now, um, my number one target, like, in general, would be Dougie Hamilton. He's a oh, UFA yes. at the end of the year. So I'm really all about him. Um, as I was saying before, I think that the Sabres could really afford to – beef up their middle six scoring and he he seems like he's been around forever but he's only 29 right now but like Jaden Swartz from Schwartz from St. Louis he definitely piques my interest a little bit um Thomas Tatar too from Montreal he's really I think found his game pretty well over the past couple of seasons uh I think Kyle Palmieri is a is a UFA as well he's another guy that I think you could put on like a second or third line role um you know he's 30 right now but he has a pretty consistent history of being a solid 20 goal scorer so there are guys out there i mean it it remains to be seen i think also as i had mentioned before the expansion draft is going to affect a lot of who's available and what the player movement is going to look like in the off season but yeah those are just some guys i think we're both pretty much in agreement though for how they can kind of get there yeah so one thing though the sabers may or may not be losing stall 
in the offseason. I don't know if they'll be looking to resigning him. So I don't really know what they're going to look to do to second line center next year, like mm-hmm. for next season. So a couple of guys that could look like to plug the holes, like there are a few guys who I don't think will be resigned for then. David Krejci is one. Mm-hmm. And Paul Stastny is another. Both veterans, both not unlike Stahl, are both still pretty good. Can still probably be a decent second line center. Mm-hmm. And may will will likely be a lot cheaper than they were on their current deals. Yeah. Also, Tuka Rask is a free agent. <laughs> I didn't know he that. is, but do you feel like he would ever come here? No, he's a guy that'll be signed before next year. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's a big one though: Brandon Dubinsky. <laughs> <laughs> BRB, I'm going to go jump off my roof. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's other guys too. Like Brandon Saad, I think is a UFA, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's surprisingly young. He is. RNH too. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I feel like he's probably going to be very, very costly though. And if you're bringing back Hall, I don't think you're going to have the finances to make that work. No. Um, Honestly, if you bring back Hall, and Skinner doesn't go in the expansion draft, they probably have to like, I don't know if this is smart, but would they just like move cousins to center? I mean, I think that that's going to be inevitable anyways. Like they'd ha- kind of have to, right? Cause then you would have so much money committed to like Hall's a winger. Assuming we want to bring back Reinhardt, he's a winger. Skinner's a winger. Right. And then right. you have Eichel down the middle. Like who else do you have? So yeah, I guess they have, but there's have- also like some not bad, uh, like down the lineup guys who are out there. Like I would not hate as long as it's not for the 4 million that he's getting paid right now. I wouldn't hate Nick Benino um, coming here and playing, whether it's like a third or fourth line role. Uh, I think he could fit in nicely on the third line and I would feel com- far more comfortable with him instead of like Cody Eakin, even though yeah, Eakin hasn't been like a total travesty, but it's early still. Um, all right. Two more questions. And then we will wrap this episode up. Uh, Mike Drebot actually had a, a very interesting question. Um, Taylor, what is your take on this? How does the price of GameStop's uh, stock affect the Sabres playoff chances? Maybe this is the year of the underdog. Where we uh, <laughs> GameStop and the Sabres, yes. We stop letting you know these big Wall Street guys kick us around. We stop letting the the big dogs in the division that have dominated us for years, the the Washington, mm-hmm. you know, not not us specifically because we haven't been in a division with them, but in a conference, Washington, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. Boston have made the playoffs almost every year since uh, the Sabres uh, demise about 14 years ago. Maybe so this is, is your... maybe it's time to start pushing these guys around. Maybe right. it's time to maybe we bankrupt their hedge funds. Ooh. So is yeah. your how would your you hypothesis... like that, Jeremy Jacobs? <laughs> so is your hypothesis then if the price of GameStop continues to go up, so too do the Sabres playoff hopes? Yes, I think the Sabres are okay. very inspired by this. They're definitely not a team full of millionaires. We need to get this on Reddit. We need to. <laughs> we need to short. I don't know. I don't know. They're doing the opposite of shorting. They're they're shorting the shorting, right? Basically. Whoa. I mean, I know stuff about. I saw the big short, so I know stuff about movies. Shorting. I love wearing, I love wearing shorts in the mm. in the winter or in the mm-hmm. summer. Excuse me, I'm not a winter shorts guy. I'm a summer mm-hmm. shorts guy. But yeah, so we need to we need to get on our uh, slash NHL and and get them to I don't know buy a bunch of stock in Delaware North. 
Would that even work? That'd do the opposite effect. So. No, yeah, yeah. no, that doesn't make Maybe sense. Not Ignore bad. that. Don't, Don't do, do that. that. Do not that. listen to Taylor. I'm talking to you, Jack Eichel. Um, <laughs> so what we need them to do is figure out how to do some some Wall Street stuff and stocks. We need to get the stocks the up, stonks. and we need to get all the other teams down, and then the I Sabres will go up. Mm-hmm. I love yep. that. That's how finance works, folks. I feel like I just took Econ 101 all over again. Same, because I'm still <laughs> just as stupid. All right. Well, our final question, Taylor, comes from a, a good pal of mine, Greg Kowal. How many years of tanking do you think it will take for Buffalo to relocate? Ha. Huh. So answering this seriously, <laughs> um, the Pagulas can't move probably because they put all their money downtown. They're all like, you know, the Pagulas are all nervous and stuff now, like old Gil, because nothing they've done is paying off right now, including, except for the bills, basically. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so they can't move the savers pretty much is the answer. But like sometime in the future, how many years of the city of Buffalo tanking of, you know, bringing back our own Ted Nolan, Byron Brown, um, until Buffalo has like no money, it just like has to be viable. Wow! You How just, many years? I, I gotta stop you. You just rocked my world with the Ted Nolan Byron Brown analogy. I'm I'm shook. I've I've nothing further to say. But uh, God damn it, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. R.I.P. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, maybe someday. <laughs> I don't know. Oh man, if we miss the playoffs this year, maybe if we can be so lucky, put us out of our misery. Yeah, I mean it's not happening, but maybe no. we need to bring the tank back. One year tank, get I don't know some teenager who hates it here. That's what we need, more divisiveness. So I actually, there's another question that I didn't tell you about because I oh. forgot. Uh, it's another another late breaking question. It, oh. it comes from Carrie Linsenbigler. Come on. Yeah, it what a, should. What a, what a great gal. We tried to do a mailbag last year and we didn't get enough questions, so we didn't do it, but we did get one from her, which was uh, What is your biggest jersey regret? Oh, this is easy. Go ahead. Who is yours? So mine is a, a unique tale. Sometime around 2016, I bought this isn't a jersey, it's a jersey, but I'm going to count it as the same. I bought a Sam Reinhardt jersey uh, from. Hold on, there's a good point. Okay. There's a good point to this. Uh, the Galleria Mall. And I wore it only like a half dozen times because at the time in my life, I didn't realize I was transitioning from medium to large. I was becoming a thick boy mm. and it just got tight on me. And like I, in high school, Brendan can tell you this listeners. I used to love wearing tight, like small clothes because I was really skinny and I was like, hell yeah, everyone loves a five, 930 pound dude. Look <laughs> at this guy. Uh, I was before my time, skinny jeans, all that stuff. Looks great. Style, style icon. You were the trendsetter. Yep. And then post-college it's like, wow. Uh, this didn't go well for me. Stop it. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. But I'm two sizes up now, and I definitely didn't realize. I love I every inch of you, Taylor. <laughs> I should have tried it on is what I'm saying. I bought it from T-Shirt University at the Gallery Mall. They don't have a changing room, mm. so I couldn't try it on. So I'm like, yeah, medium, I'm medium, whatever. And then I, like, a couple weeks in the wearing, I was like, shit, this, this thing's <laughs> getting a little snug on me. Those uh 19 Plus you bush put it through the wash a couple times, well. it naturally shrinks and oh yeah. So then instant regret on that one. That's all right. I mean, it, at least it was a good player. 
Because you know who mine was? The jersey that I still own to this day. It's not Brad Boys. It's not Brad Boys. Take a guess. I bet you could probably guess. I don't even know a jersey that you want. I don't know if you've seen seen you wear a jersey that's like someone that's uh, not good. But let me think. Is it? Did you buy Briere right before he left or something? No, I've had I had Briere. I mean, I had his before he left, but no, not him. More recent. More Ooh. disappointment. Oh, 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 it's Grigorenko. It is Grigorenko, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's your fault, man. He was never good. Yeah, I. Uh, that was that was a huge mistake. That was taking a gamble and hoping that he was going to actually turn out uh, into something. I saw him the first – I mean, after we got him, I was excited, and then I went to one of the first, like, open practices that they had. He looked really cool, made a couple of really cool passes, and I was like, shit, this guy's going to be awesome. I want to get his jersey. And uh, – I don't think I've worn it to a game ever. So, yeah. Wow. That one stings. Brad Boys is a close second, though. Yeah, I disagree. The Brad Boys one paid off in the end. True, um, true. We got a good story out of it for the podcast. That's right. Do we want to do our recommendations? Uh, Yeah, who do you got? So I'm not recommending a movie or TV show this week. Ooh. Even though I did watch The Queen's Gambit, I can't recommend it. You've all already watched it. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. Chess, man. How about that? I know. I was feeling Our it. people's stuff. You know, I've, I was like, I want to do a bunch of drugs and start playing chess on the ceiling. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so what's I, your, what's your pick? So it's a podcast, actually a rival podcast. No, I'm just Straight up sabers. <laughs> it's uh, called moving away. It's so my friend from college, Kevin Cooley made this. Uh, it, it might be called move away, move away. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's a podcast series. It's unfinished, so it's ongoing. There's, I think there's four episodes right now. I'm, I'm about to start the fourth one. And it. I don't want to say too much about it because I want you listeners to be able to listen for yourselves. It's available on Spotify, just like ours and wherever else you get podcasts. But basically a story, it's like an audio story, a retelling of a, a University of Buffalo student, uh, something during the pandemic. It occurs, you know, during this past year, 2020, but the story is told from a perspective of someone who's far in the future and it's adjacent. And it, you know, I love horror, obviously I do host this podcast. Uh, So, um, so it it basically tells a story. It's different than most podcasts. It's not just two guys, you know, you know, talking, shooting the, shooting the breeze. It's an actual story. It's an audio story, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting. And it follows some of the, uh, some of the interesting haunted places in in Western New York. Fictional story, obviously. Oh, cool. But so that's all I'll say. I want you to discover the rest in your own for everyone who listens. It's great. I've been enthralled by it. Nice. I like that. Cool. I'll have to check yeah. that one out. I don't think we talked about that before, like outside of the show. So I'll have to give that a listen. No, I literally just listened to it, actually. The first oh, OK, episodes. cool. Hell yeah. All right. I'm going to stick with a music pick for mine. So I've been thinking about this album a lot lately because i've been just like listening to it a lot more frequently um so i'm a huge arctic monkeys fan uh and a lot of people are i mean they got really huge especially here in america after their 2013 album am which had like do i want to know and are you mine and a lot of hit songs that you know really upped their presence we'll say in america because they were already like stupid famous everywhere else um, but that album was like a huge, huge mainstream hit here. The w- one for them that was not as much of a mainstream hit in the States, at least, was the album that came right before that called Suck It and See. 
And for me, <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a great name. Um, so with the Arctic Monkeys, I feel like for a lot of people, they're really familiar with like their first two albums because they were really popular. Like how most bands are, their first album is like awesome for like popular bands. Their second album was a follow-up. It was very similar to their first. And then everybody, as I said before, knows AM. But the two albums in the middle, which again, Suckin' and See was number four and their third album uh, was Humbug. And I, I mean, I've been a fan of the Arctic Monkeys since like high school and even still, I really underrated those two albums and I cannot recommend it enough. If you're, if you haven't listened to it before, but you are into Arctic monkeys, but you haven't really done much of a deep dive. Um, it's cool because with them, they're one of those bands that if you go through their discography and listen to them album by album, it's not like you're getting the same thing every time. Like you can hear, little by little how their sound is changing and so when you listen to like arctic monkeys first album whatever people say i am that's what i'm not and you listen to their last album am or the well their excuse me their fifth album not their last album their last album is uh tranquility based hotel and casino but uh when you listen to those two albums which are kind of like the top two that people always rank them they sound very very different in terms of like the general style and tone but it's really cool to see a band kind of work their way from getting to point a to point b and if you really liked am and you liked a lot of those songs like i said before like are you mine do i want to know like the radio hits highly recommend listening to suck it and see because it perfectly like was the springboard for them to finding that sound. Um, it's a lot of like, like darker seventies surf rock kind of sounding stuff. And to me, I am very firm in this opinion that I think that Alex Turner is the best lyricist to emerge in the 21st century among rock musician about like rock singers. I think like it's to me, like he is far and away, like it's, he's an artist in every sense of the word when it comes to his ability to write lyrics. Um, and this album in particular has some really, really cool lyrics that like a lot of ear catching stuff. And when you go back and kind of look up the lyrics and read them, you're like, Holy shit, this is really cool. How well constructed it is also really well produced album. So that is my pick for, uh, for the week. Anything else to add Taylor before we sign off? So we just got a question on Instagram. Oh, did we? From who? But it's from Eric Gordon, and I think we can answer pretty quickly. Of course, I love I Eric. The same answer. Uh, prediction for breakout player this season and why? I feel like this kind of goes to what I said before with who I'm most impressed with. But mine is Dylan Cousins for all the reasons I said, and I hope he doesn't actually have poor hygiene like I imagine him to. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think Cousins is definitely the easy pick here. Uh, I mean, like sleepers, I would say. <sighs> yeah, I don't really know. I mean, Cousins is really the easy one to go to. I would like to see Yoki Haru take some steps and really um, earn a con- earn his next contract just because I, at this point, have no idea what they're going to be able to, well, what they will give him and what he would be valued at. But I'd like to see him take some steps. But, I mean, I think, yeah, Cousins is definitely the go-to. He's just from the get-go has looked really good for them i think that him playing in the world juniors and playing such a key role in the world juniors right before the season started supremely played to his benefit because he came in being way more well conditioned than the rest of the guys but the thing is is that all these other guys have now caught up but he doesn't look like he's lagging behind and so he just has like a really solid north to south skating ability um 
And I think that he's going to establish himself as a, a really, really solid uh, play driving power forward for this team this season and into the future. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you for that last second question, Eric. I just combined those two words into one. Uh, any last thoughts that you want to share, Taylor? Nope. Nope. Okay, everybody. Well, thank you again so much for tuning in. As mentioned before, this has been Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics. The Hockey Podcast Network, 31 teams, 31 shows, plus a bunch of extra content and extra shows that if you are looking to get your hockey fixed now that football season is over, uh, the Hockey Podcast Network is where it's at. Whether it's a team coming up that the Sabres are playing against or you're curious about what's going on in the North Division or out West, wherever whatever team you're trying to get insight on the hockey podcast network is where it's at to check that out and also make sure you're checking out buffalo fanatics as we all sadly now know the bill season came to an end this past weekend but regardless of that buffalo fanatics is still where it's at to get all of your bills coverage because even though the season is over we are now in full swing and off-season mode lots of conversations about first round running backs and and whatnot have been making waves throughout social media and Buffalo fanatics is leading the way with some really excellent commentary that you guys need to be checking out. So make sure you're checking out both of them on their respective websites and on social media, make sure you're checking us out on social media as well on Facebook and on Instagram at straight up sabers on Twitter at straight sabers. And wherever you are listening to this right now, make sure you are subscribing to this podcast. So without further ado, before we sign off, Taylor, who is your random Sabres player of the episode? Former Power Play One member, Matt D'Agostini. Matt D'Agostini. I like it. I will then go with a teammate of his, good old uh, face-off specialist, Zenon Kanopka. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres.